He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I'll once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's, want to give them a wide berth. This is what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We'll start this time with James. All signs are pointing to me finishing my master's program. Uh, if by then I found out that I haven't finished my master's program, I'm just going to lie and say that I did. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Congratulations. Yeah, that's great. Congrats. Thanks, man. Been a hell of a fall for you, James. Yeah, those falls sucked, <laughs> but it's all cruising from here, so that's a positive. There we go. Case. I'm in the midst of a career change, and I think I'm going to uh, line up my interests of working out, doing yoga, cooking, cleaning, and driving cars, and I'm going to try to become a, uh, a himbo, and I'm officially looking for a sugar mom. It's a very exciting time in my life. Damn, bro. You sound just like me. I'm pumped. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> hey, I've been taking notes, James. Don't worry. <laughs> it's the dream, dude. <laughs> Let it be known. Let it be known. Sugar mamas need apply. Aubrey. Basketball season is in full swing over here, so we're just uh, trying to get high school kids to focus, which is so much different from my day job, which is getting middle school kids to focus. It's it's all a mess right now, honestly. I feel terrible, so I'm just hanging on. That's That's been my update. <laughs> I feel terrible today, and I'm just hanging on. <laughs> Sounds like coaching to me, just hanging on. Yep. It's all come together. You get sick, and then you're just stressful, so I'm with you there, man. Yep. I, I got a headache. Barely see anything. Trying to teach kids how to read today. <laughs> Rigby. Yeah, so I missed the last episode, so I'm happy to be back with you guys. Craig, I just want to say congratulations on a great career. Yes, sir. Glad you can finally focus full-time on OnlyFans. I know you've been wanting to do that. It's been it's been tough over the last couple of years to try to do that on the side, but career change is exciting, and it's there's some anxiety to it, but there's also uh, some some new, uh, some good feelings just to, to not know what's coming next, so... Thanks, dude. Yep. More time to spread your butt cheeks like my concho for the world to see. <laughs> it's good. Uh, on my end, I'm just genuinely shocked in uh, football land that the Detroit Lions are favored to beat a 10 and 2 team next week at, as an under 500 team. So uh, once this has come out, that will either be heartbreak or jubilee. And I guess we'll find out. I mean, I think the Lions were favored for like the first time in like 20-something games this past week. And I did take them because I'm a believer. Uh, but they should not be favored against the Vikings. That, that doesn't make any sense. Nope. But we're excited to welcome back Sam Phillips to the pod. Sam is a degenerate friend of Warren's who took a semester <laughs> of film classes at AM and thinks he's an expert on movies. Which makes him overqualified for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, way, way too overqualified. His favorite movie is Mean Streets. His second favorite is The Cat in the Hat, as we explored last time. Uh, he was previously with us for the Dakota Fanning episode, and he's tried to join us a few other times. Life has always gotten in the way. Our original guest was supposed to join us, and he backed out. So I said, "Let's." I'm going to call up Sam, see if we can get into his schedule, and by golly, he was free. So we're glad to have you back, my friend. How's life? And Well, since the last time, 
I've, I know I have a kid. He's two. He's a handful. Um, he's like pretty close to starting to talk, but he's definitely cut into uh, movie uh, movie time. But you know, for you guys, I, I I make an exception, and I just let him basically roam around, and I'll watch something and look up every five to six minutes and make sure <laughs> what I do. We are advocates of uh, proactive parenting on this podcast, so I'm glad you're doing that. <laughs> Try to get as many movies in as possible. A lot has changed since 2019 or 2018 when I was last on in terms of the quality of movies um, and the quantity and how they're shown and so forth. So having to kind of find some niche movies to watch primarily because the big budget stuff isn't really as great as it once was. Glad to have you back, my friend. And uh ready to dig in so let's do it awesome all right birthdays december 15th rigby what do we got first up we have mr sonny crockett himself don johnson uh also famous from nash bridges knives out tin cup he's bounding down and kyle probably knows him best for being dakota johnson's dad <laughs> that's right i grew up watching a lot of nash bridges so don johnson and i are that was a it was a big show of my adolescence, my teenage years. He was Nash Bridges before he was Sonny Crockett to me, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm. His uh, delivery of the line, ruthlessly masturbating to pictures of dead deer in Knives Out, made my wife uh, scream laugh in the theater to the <laughs> point where it was so embarrassing that people in the theater started laughing at her directly. <laughs> I'll start us off. I'll, I'll say Don, Don J is 71. Wow. He was a delight in Watchmen, the HBO series, and I'll say he's 65. I'm going to go way over. Give me 75. Damn it. That's what I was going to do. Give me 78 then. I'll go 76. All right. After all those came in, you were closest. He's turning 73. (sighs) Take it. (laughs) Love a good dub. So, yeah, happy birthday to Sonny Crockett. All right. Next up, we got Adam Brody. Most famously, probably from the OC, but he was in a, a recent Munson favorite, uh, Ready or Not. That was a good movie yeah. from Yeah, he's fun in that movie. Great movie. Also has a uh, cameo in Promising Young Woman. Oh, yeah. Yes, he does. You're right. When Bo's Boys. No idea who this person is. Throw, I'm going to flash out a 38. That's a good guess. I bet That's if really you saw guess. him, Craig, you would know who he is. Maybe. Yeah. 42. I like that 38 guess, so I'm going to go a little bit lower. I'll go 36. Oh, I'm in a tough spot. Mm. Amber, you can duplicate. You can double down. Oh, I'm double. I want to go 36. It feels right. Cuts. My whole explanation. Join me. So I'll go with 42. Ooh. Well, you both win then. He's actually 42 right now, but he'll be turning 43 on the 15th. Perfect. Nice. It's a hot start. Love a double winner. Good work. Yeah. Last up, we have Michelle Dockery. Anybody not know who this is? She's in the, the Gentleman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's a famous British actress. She was in Downton Abbey. Um, she was most recently in a Netflix miniseries called Anatomy of a Scandal with Sienna Miller. And um, I feel like I'm on a prank show and you guys are making up names and all pranking me because I don't know who this person is either. Do you know who Sienna Miller is? No. Santa Miller's gorgeous. You've seen American Sniper, I take it? Yeah. She was his wife in that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll get us started. I think she is early 30s, so I'm going to go 32. 
feel a lot of pressure. I feel like I have to get this one right. We're big Downton heads over here. Mm-hmm. Downton head. <laughs> oh yeah, I love Downton. Thirty-eight for me. I feel like that's a really good guess. I'm gonna say forty, and I hope that I'm really close as to not get in a fight when this airs. I do not know who this is, so I'm gonna go based on other guesses, and I'm gonna say thirty-six. I feel like she's probably close to my age, but I'll go a year older, say 37. All right, she's turning 41. So, Aubrey, you oh, win. Well. That's how it works oh, out. Oh, boy. Nice. So, she's 40 right now. So, yes. Good, yep. good job, Aubrey. Yep. And I never doubted. I knew it the whole time. <laughs> Very confident. What happens when you Google it? <laughs> it's amazing the way that works. I would never. Case with the, uh, with the L on that one, for the record. Okay. Well, happy birthday to the rest of those humans. All right, five actors we threw under the wheel for episode 76. We had a couple musicians, including Chris Christopherson. You got June Squibb, the 90-plus-year-old June Squibb. I think we said she's 93. Goldie Hawn, which is would have been ideal from a, uh, fil- a filmography credit standpoint with 38 for her famed career, which would have been impressive. Janine Garofalo, but it doesn't really matter because none of them were selected by the wheel. The wheel selected Zoe Deschanel. Originally had a different guest coming in, but they were non-responsive, and Sam said, "Yeah, I can do Zoe. Let's do that." So she's got 64 credits on her filmography. Obviously, has done quite a bit on the music side. So we'll talk about her her career as a musician, and has been in quite a few shorts and music videos over the years as well. Um, but before we get into the minutia of everything involving Zoe. We uh, always start with a little actor trivia and see if James can stump us Fast and Furious style. So for those of you who listen, you guys know the deal. For the newcomers here, I'm about to read off three facts. Two of them are going to be true about uh, the woman of the hour, Zoe Deschanel. One of them is not going to be true about her, but will be true about one of the many illustrious cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. Going on a few years doing this, the guys here are going to have to guess which one is not true about Zoe, but is true about the Fast and Furious cast. So fact number one, her mother was a fashion model who took her to auditions, and her father was a two-time Golden Gloves boxing champion. Fact number two, has almost 2.2 million monthly listeners on Spotify. Fact number three. Made an estimated $30 million selling a website that she co-founded, which at the time was nearly 10 times her net worth. Grief. <laughs> you didn't have in there that she's dating Jonathan from the brothers that build houses. That's the one I was going to guess. Well, yeah, I figured that one would be the one that uh, most people would know since it's the most recent. But yeah, she's dating one of the, the property brothers. I mean, that narrows it down a little too much. I got to think that one is the lie, the boxing one. You don't think her, she's the progeny of a famous boxer? No, I think that's Jason Statham. I'm going to go to the well I always go to. I'm going to say the one that is the lie is numero tres. And it is my favorite guest, Luda. Luda is the one who sold the website. Yes, he did. Everyone knows that. He sold that because he moved everything to his MySpace page, and that didn't work out for him. What was the name <laughs> of the website that he sold? Yes, LudaGuest.com, and it is his version of Google. It was his version of Ask Chiefs, LudaGast.com. When you hit enter, it just goes, Luda! <laughs> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you up on that case. I, James, when we do these musicians who are actors, he loves to pull out the how many Spotify listeners they have. 
because uh, I think that's an easy one to to mess with numbers wise. So I think I think that was that is the total number of listeners that Luda has per month on Spotify. So I'm going to go with the low hanging fruit. Ooh, that's actually tough. Two point two million per month. That feels like a lot for Zoe Deschanel. It does. I'm going to go with number one. Statham. Oh, we got the double guest, number one. I respect you both narrowing it down to Statham because he is quite a fighter. So I'm going to go with one because it feels the most random. Fair enough. All right. So then we'll start with the one that was the least guest. Despite Craig's best efforts, uh, narrowing it down to Luda selling a website, uh, she made $30 million selling a website that she co-founded which at the time was nearly 10 times her net worth. That website was called HelloGiggles.com. It's an entertainment and lifestyle website. She launched it in May 2011. Founded by her, the website is geared towards women and covered topics in pop culture, love, friendship, career, style, food, daily news, and was acquired by Time, uh, uh, Time Magazine in 2015. The terms of the deal were not disclosed to the public, but uh, after she went through a divorce, they kind of were, and she made $30 million. So she crushed it with that website. Fact number two, has almost 2.2 million monthly listeners subscribed on Spotify, is true. So she has 1.1 monthly listeners just by herself, and uh, just over 1 million monthly listeners with her duet group named She and Him. Their most popular song has like almost 20 million downloads. And it's she's got a whole Christmas album, which you could see based on her performance in Elf. Uh, but compared to the rest of the Fast and Furious cast, she comes in below Ludacris, who has five and a half million, below Bow Wow, who has two point six million, but more than Tyrese, who she doubles, and substantially more than Vin Diesel, who only has forty thousand monthly listeners because he's only got two songs. <laughs> but I was impressed by those Spotify numbers. You know, fact number one is not about her. Fact number one is about the late, great Paul Walker. His father was a Golden Gloves boxing champion. Mm. Uh, his mom was a uh, model, but her parents are super successful in the acting world. So her mom, uh, Mary Jo Deschanel, is an actor she's probably most famously known for playing uh, Eileen Hayward in Twin Peaks. Her father, though, Caleb, is six-time Oscar-nominated cinematographer. Yeah, He's been nominated for a couple movies. You might have heard of him before. Uh, the Right Stuff. The Natural, uh, The Patriot, The Passion of the Christ. I don't know if these movies are ringing a bell to you, uh, but six-time nominated. He's never brought one home, but he's a pretty talented, man. She continues the trend of doing movies that start with The. Half of her titles start with The as well. Queen of The. The 500 Days of Summer, The Elf, The New Guy. The Good Girl. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I knew that her mom was in Twin Peaks either. That's interesting, too. Yeah. Learn something new every day doing this doing this show, let me tell you. Good job, James. Always stumping us and informing us over here. I'm here. All right, Case, tell us a little bit about our box box office snapshot. The tough part with Zoe is that it's it's tough to claim that she's the driving force in a lot of movies that have box office success or failures. You know, it's probably best just to go through her numbers comparatively. And then I've got one it might be my new favorite because there's mystery behind it and I can't solve the mystery. So it, it's really, it's really good for me. You know, she's ranked 50th in average budget. She's ranked 53rd in total box office, 14th in star meter, 49th in critic ranking, 40th in fan ranking, 
59th and 51 in two different box office metrics, which brings her in at 41, which is probably pretty accurate, maybe a little bit high. But the the movie that I'm just so intrigued with, but I can't can't get anywhere with it, the movie Flake. It was released in one movie theater on December 19th, and it earned $311. It was only kept in the theater for nine days before it was closed and taken out of the theater, which it ultimately ended up making $778. <laughs> I can't even give you a used car fact for that. You can't even advertise a used car for $778. You get a junker from the local junkyard. That's all you're getting for that kind of cutter. You can sell your car to a junkyard for about 300 bucks. <laughs> I did as much research as I could, and it's just a dead end. So I don't know if it was just a passion project that her and some friends did. So I don't know. Obviously, and that did. Most high-grossing comedies do very well in our charts. Failure to launch which she did have a pretty substantial role in, but no one went to that movie to watch her. They went to watch McConaughey and Je- Sarah Jessica Parker. Does any, can anybody identify a movie on her resume that one would have gone to watch because of her? Where she's the star? Yeah. Uh, no. She's always supporting character. Maybe 500 Days of Summer, because her name is Summer in, in the movie. But yeah, yeah, that, her and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That was the one I would guess as well. Yeah, that's also a really good, a really well performing movie. 61 million world gross against a 7.5 million budget. So, 41st, you said overall? 41, yes, sir. Yeah, a little bit higher than I expected. So, we'll see how that months and meter lines up when it's all said and done. Yeah, me too. Okay. All right. Well, first major role is going to be 99. So, before 99, some of the, the early Zoe pieces will hit. Born in the LA area, she is named after a character from a JD Salinger book. Her sister is also an actress, which she joined later uh, on the show Bones, Emily Deschanel. Acting family, just both of the both of the daughters went that route, following in the, the footsteps of their parents in the entertainment world. Do you guys see the, the celebrity TV makeover show, which was completely adorable, with her and her best friend since they were like four years old? And it's with the two tall guys that she's dating, one of them. The property bros. <laughs> Yeah, the property guys. Oh, boy. The two tall guys. She's easily the nicest person we've covered on this podcast. She seems like she's got a a truly a heart of gold. Well, as James had mentioned, her dad worked on film sets, so she traveled a lot when she was a kid. She actually went to high school with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Kate Hudson, which I thought was a pretty cool little fact. I guess when you grow up and go to private schools in L.A., you're probably going to go to high school with some other famous folks along the way. Um. And while she was there, she sang and pursued kind of her interest in musical theater, which makes sense when you know that she's done as much music as she has over the years. And it all started when she was younger. Uh, She went to Northwestern. She dropped out after nine months, so didn't even make it through that first full year. And she dropped out to pursue her acting career. So she hung out in Evanston, Illinois for a hot minute. But her uh, her first acting performance was in 1998's uh, Veronica's Closet. She did one episode of that show. And that's where she got her start. And her first film was a movie called Mumford from 1999. So Aubrey would normally cover this, but he had to step away from the podcast. So uh, first major role is 1999's Mumford. And it's a... Who's the director, Rigby? Uh, Lawrence Kasdan. Kasdan, who did films like... um, Body Heat. 
Big Chill, Big right? Big Chill, yeah. He's really good friends with with Spielberg and like George Lucas. He produced a lot yeah. of the Star Wars movies, but he did direct he did direct Body Heat and um, the Bodyguard and the Big Chill. Did he direct The Empire Strikes Back or no? No, he wrote it. Okay, there you go. Okay, cool. Yep. Basic concept of Mumford is uh, Lauren Dean plays a character named Dr. Mumford in the town of Mumford, who essentially is this new therapist in town who is taking clients. He's he's really good at his job, but he doesn't seem terribly qualified for his job, and people start to get a little skeptical. But through this, he meets a pretty like jam-packed cast in this movie from folks like Jason Lee, who I learned was, I didn't realize he was a professional skateboarder before he was an actor, so I learned that researching this. Hope Davis plays his, like, love, uh, plays somebody who he's um, working with as a psychologist, but eventually falls for. Alfred Woodard plays a friend in the movie Mary McDonald, who you, I know from Independence Day, which is probably not what she wants to be known as, but that's what I remember from. And Dance of the Bulls in Independence Day. Yep. Yeah, right? The, the really important cinematic entries to her career. Yeah. Uh, Martin Short plays an asshole who ends up basically being the antagonist of the movie, who sniffs out pretty early that this guy's not who he says he is. Um, and Zoe Deschanel plays a young woman who is one of his patients who kind of a mess and it's literally her first film role and i was really impressed by her in this movie and i know eight uh aubrey was too because he and I, we were texting in the group chat before it before he had to jump off but he even said i think his words were i really like what she was doing in this movie where she's trying to figure out life and relationships and the first time she's in there she's she wants to smoke in there she's like you should really let people smoke and i just really laughed at the scene where She's like, do you get, you don't even get paid to do this. Like, why are you doing this? And he says, it's pro bono and real fast. She goes pro boner. <laughs> it's such smut humor, but her delivery made me chuckle while I was watching. That's it. a very late nineties joke for sure. hundred percent pro boner question mark. But uh, there's a young Elizabeth Moss in this movie. Ted Danson's in this movie. Jason Ritter, Kevin Teague, Martin Short, Dana Ivy, David Palmer. I mean, it's just a huge cast. And it also has an Unsolved Mysteries connection that I fucking loved. It, sh- it shows him like watching Unsolved Mysteries early in the movie. And then the- they end up figuring out that he's a fraud because he's on Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack talking through his story. And I used to love that show. So I, I really enjoyed that tie-in of, the-, of the-, the story arc. So I found it thoroughly enjoyable. I thought it was a really fun movie. And I think she did a really good job in her role. It is a, it is a fun movie, and I think that the cast, you know, that ensemble cast just makes it it it's kind of hard not to have with Ted Danson, Martin Short, like all those just brilliant comedic actors. Like it's and it's not really like a straight up comedy. Like there's definitely some dramatic aspects to it for sure, but it's it's more of just like a dark black comedy. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a scene where he's being interrogated by the two other psychologists in town, and they are trying to do lunch with him because they're kind of skeptical that he was actually trained that he's a psychologist. And they're right, their instincts accurate, but they keep asking about like who, how he was trained, and he knows the names of famous psychologists who have who died in horrific accidents. So like, oh, so who trained you? And he's like, oh, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Douglas. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't even know hang gliding was a a sport anymore and you know he died tragically from that like three times in a row (laughs) everybody died from like the most ridiculous oh yeah she died in a train wreck 
and his delivery is it's so sharp. Uh, and after they're like, why is it everybody he ever trained and died in under horrific circumstances? And they're like, seems fishy. But uh, James and uh, Sam, did you guys get a chance to watch it? No, I haven't even heard of this one, but sounds interesting. Not quite as musical as the Suns that version that I'm used to, but still pretty good. Right. No, but I love Unsolved Mysteries. I think it shows great, Kyle. I agree with you. Also, high key, one of the greatest uh, intro songs of all time. Oh, unbelievable. Absolutely. So before highest critic score, the only thing I noted on the show notes here was she appeared in one of a few music videos, not just involving herself and her duet band, but she was in the Offspring's She's Got Issues video with like pink hair and kind of a rocker chick. That's going to take us to highest critic score. So very early in her career, two years into her acting career, we hit highest critic score, which is Almost Famous, a film we've covered previously in the Philip Seymour Hoffman episode character we loved from that movie and to get put through the ringer he got the cat in the hat last time so the least we could do was give him almost famous this time's around so sam's gonna take us through it i mean so her role in this movie is obviously pretty small but i mean i i guess when you look at her filmography it's funny because it's like it's like kind of hard to go from like nothing to being in a Cameron Crowe movie, like your third project. So it's like, oh, maybe she had, fa- oh, wait a minute. She has family members and uh, <laughs> awfully convenient. But um, so the movie is basically autobiographical about Cameron Crowe's experience working for Rolling Stone. Anyway, so like him and Zoe Deschanel are brother and sister. It's in San Diego, 1969. Zoe Deschanel's character comes in. And she has a Simon and Garfunkel album that she's kind of trying to smuggle in. And the mom is an overbearing college professor, which I think is kind of weird because you'd think a college professor, college professor would, would, you know, that would be their jam, but apparently not her mom. So her mom's like, no, they smoke weed and takes a Simon and Garfunkel album away, which is like Simon and Garfunkel is completely harmless. She basically is really, really strict and um, it kind of drives Zoe's character to decide to leave and be a flight attendant and she's basically showing her like moving out and her boyfriend's like helping her move out so in a sense her character's not she's not in the movie very much at all but she kind of lights lights the fire that that motivates the main character to get into rock and roll he wants to be a rock journalist and so he's basically uh doing freelance stuff and then he runs into uh philip seymour hoffman's character who's recording in a nearby i don't know if it's like a record studio or where it is like he has like a little show but anyway so the, he was a real character guy named or a real person the hoffman's character a guy named lester bangs what a name yeah i was gonna say it was the main character in a movie i watched last night but it was a different one but um <laughs> he's impressed with william so he's like go cover black sabbath the guard won't let him in and uh he meets kate hudson's character penny lane and she's basically a groupie but she's like no we're band-aids we're really just into the music which really isn't the case but so Stillwater, which is like the band that he follows around and gets his big assignment ultimately from rolling stone i don't know this movie's kind of interesting it's one of those movies where it's like i get why it was critically acclaimed it had like a lot of great actors in it but i feel like it's one of those movies where if you went if you like i don't think you could make it today unless it was like a lot grittier interesting you mean like too whimsical it would need to be a little darker yeah it probably would need to be a little darker uh, i was kind of just going off on a little existential i don't know what but i think it's a good point 
Zoe Deschanel was definitely like you could tell she was still kind of finding her footing as an actor. Like I'm 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 like a nobody, so for, for me to say something like that sounds really silly, but that's just how it felt. It was like you could tell she was that's the podcast, baby. We are we're nobodies too. That's that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. We're all nobodies. It, it didn't like so okay, so I watched it and then when I looked at her filmography, I was like, Oh, okay, because it really did feel like it's like this is someone who's finding their footing and acting, like kind of nervous. Like you could you could tell like this is this is something like she hadn't done several times before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was an entertaining movie. I think I saw it when it probably first came out in high school. Yeah, I was going to ask, did you find out who Cameron Crowe was following? Like, did it has it ever been divulged? I was able to look it up while we were talking. When he was a teenager, so he followed a bunch of bands when he was at Rolling Stone, but the three that he toured with while he was a teenager, which they assume this movie is based off of, is a, a combination of the Allman Brothers, Led Zeppelin, and Leonard Skinnerd, who famously died in a plane crash, which I believe is probably why he included that plane crash scene. Right. So it's an amalgamation of the three? Okay. Yeah. Got it. I think I read somewhere like one of the bands got sick of him where like you got to bounce. Like, so he didn't, he wasn't able to successfully like follow one the way the kid was. The one who popped up was the Almond Brothers. I forget which one of the brothers said, like, essentially, you're a narc. You got to leave. <laughs> like, you're not, you're not one of us. Get out of here. Casting of this is interesting. I'm reading in an article that Hudson was actually originally, originally slated to play Anita, but then somebody backed out. So then he gave the role of Penny to Hudson, and then Deschanel didn't hear anything, and they were they were frantically trying to find somebody to play Anita, and uh, Cameron Crowe went back and looked at the audition tapes, and they called her back in. And uh, it's pretty interesting, because I think I, I, this would have been a tough movie to see had those two roles been reversed. And in, in a platonic way? It read like uh, Penny was the role Deschanel had auditioned for. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, PSH is just such a good character actor, and that Lester Bangs character is is no different than what you come to expect with him. Yeah, very underrated character, Dusty from Twister. Check that one out if you haven't seen it. Um, but I think you nailed it, Sam. I think she's less than two years into her career, and so she is still trying to find her footing in an acting space. You could tell she doesn't have the confidence that she does later, but mm-hmm. her character keeps keeps that char- the main character moving along and is kind of his moral center in ways. It, she plays an important role. Absolutely. Well, let's keep her moving here. 2001, so before Largest Critic App, we've got Manic, plays Tracy, uh, her first role alongside JGL. So a couple actors I noticed she works alongside a, a lot. So when you mentioned Jason Lee, he's, she's in at least three movies with him. Mumford, Almost Famous, and Big Trouble. Mm-hmm. There could be more, and I just don't know. But then JGL is somebody she's friends has become friends with uh, off the screen, but also has worked with him a few times. Two Kate Hudson movies, at least. Yep. And it's all around the same time with Jason Lee as well. But uh, I've watched Manic. It's like a very low quality short term 12. If you remember that from our Rami Malik episode that we we watched. And I know James watched it, but Barry with Brie Larson, Rami Malik. I think that was my movie that I reviewed. That was a good yep. movie. It's a good movie. This is like that. It's about a bunch of kids in a facility who are a mess and the production quality is nowhere even close to what that one looked like. And that says something because that was in any film. She plays uh, a young girl who's just kind of doesn't have it together. Shocker, uh, given the types of characters I just described. And then off the screen in 2001 as well, she was part of a jazz cabaret called If All the Stars Were Pretty Babies. Some more of the the musical theater that she studied um, and that she 
did in high school. She was she was doing some of that off the stage or off the screen as well. And that's going to get us the largest critic gap. A lot of her reviews are all early in her career. So we've got The Good Girl from 2002 and Rigby has it. Yeah, so The Good Girl, uh, I want to call it a slice of life movie. It takes place in a, um, a Texas big box retail store. Uh, called Retail Rodeo, which is based off like a Kmart type store from from back in the day, if you remember. And it stars Jennifer Aniston in one of her first, I think, non sort of like, and eh, maybe there was one in the '90s, but like non comedic roles. I mean, this is it's it's a it's like a it's a comedy, but it's more. I would say it's more of a it's more of a lighthearted drama, if that makes sense. I looked on every streaming service uh amazon apple everything out there and i couldn't find it so i unfortunately had to resort to watching clips of zoe and the movie just on youtube what i could find this happens to you and you only rigby you continue to get seemingly yeah this is the way the movie was intended to be viewed (laughs) yep so i i was i was encouraged when i when i saw a youtube clip uh that said the good girl part one and then I couldn't find parts two, three, and four. So it was like an eight-minute clip. And usually sometimes they like, you know, you'll you'll see movies that are in different parts on YouTube. But no no, uh, no luck on this one, unfortunately. So I'll just get into uh, Zoe's performance and sort of what I read about it and uh, the movie. So Zoe plays Cheryl. She's a co-worker at this big box retail store with um, Justine, who is played by Jennifer Aniston. And she, Justine, is the uh, the main character of the movie, um, and it it's really just like an examination of like all these like quirky characters that sort of envelop this this store, and none of them are happy. They're all just like weird. I read it almost like waiting, but for a retail store, and like a lot less graphic. Obviously, no no penis and no uh, no brain in this one, right, James? Yeah, no sexual assault that yes. got yep. immediately no, adopted oh, by middle schoolers. Yeah, so veiny. <laughs> no statutory rape scenarios in this one either. So, as far as I know, at least I haven't seen it. But uh, Zoe Deschanel, her character, from what I read, she is like the funniest one of anyone. Um, and what I watched, she is really cynical. She has a Texas accent, a Southern accent, which was very hard for me to to square with because I'm not used to that. Not I'm used to her being sort of that bubbly, kind of like elf type, new girl type character, and to have her with a Southern drawl was very, uh, very unique. And also, like she's got a kind of a dirty mouth in this. Like I didn't see that coming either. So, but the reviews describe her as I read Roger Ebert's review, and it says that she says one too many wrong things on the PA system and gets demoted to working the cosmetics counter at the uh, at the store. And there's a scene where uh, she basically just is so unhappy with her job that she just, like, fucks with this lady who's trying to, like, get makeup and, and says, like, fuck you very much at the counter. I wish I could have seen it because it'd be a lot easier to describe. I'm trying to just go off, like, memory of the YouTube clips, but... It kind of sounds like you're talking about employee of the month. A little bit, yeah. I, I I honestly read it just by the. Um, it, it's a little. It's it's definitely. There's definitely a lightheartedness to it because, or like a uh, a heartwarming moment to it because Jake Gyllenhaal's character is introduced and he and Jennifer Aniston's character kind of have this weird um, relationship where they end up sort of falling in love with each other and 
something that was definitely missing in a movie like Waiting was that kind of that in this movie, but or in that movie, but it does in this. So um, all in all, good reviews. I mean, 82 on Rotten Tomatoes. You mentioned the critic app, obviously, which is why we're talking about it. But from Mike White, who famously is now famous for doing White Lotus on HBO, um, which is a pretty popular show. But he's done a lot of stuff, and I, I had never heard of this movie. I didn't know Jennifer Anderson was in it. Didn't know Jake Gyllenhaal was in it. Obviously didn't know Zoe Deschanel was in it. I just wish it could be easier to find because it was not uh, available on any service, unfortunately. Yeah, and I know Mike White most from uh, School of Rock. Personally, one of my favorite movies. Yeah, he and Jack Black are, are boys. Yeah, it's got, a, it's got a really good cast. As I look at the cast list, I mean, we're talking at you said Aniston, Mike White, Gyllenhaal, and I assume... John C. Riley. Yeah, John C. Riley, Deborah Rush, yep. Tim Blake Nelson, John Carroll Lynch. I mean, that's a that's a pretty solid group of, of actors there. Yeah. Let me just say that Jake Gyllenhaal and Jennifer Aniston are both way too good looking to be working in a retail store, but that's neither here nor there. And Mike White is recent starting quarterback for the New York Jets. <laughs> yes, you're right. He is. I would anticipate that she might have gotten this role because of her connection with Jake going to high school with him. I can't imagine it hurt her in getting this role. Well, I would normally ask you, Rigby, how you fall on the critic gap, but since you didn't get a chance to watch it because it's not, you can't find it unless you go to some guy named Frank's uh, closet and find it in his DVD collection. So, you know, we'll just, we'll just uh, pretend that you would have gave it a 77. Yeah, it put me right in the middle there. A couple more projects in O2 before we get to the the other O2 movie that falls into lowest critic score. We've got Abandon, and she played Samantha, and then also Big Trouble, a movie we've mentioned a few times on the Tucci and Rene Russo episode. She plays the, the daughter of Rene Russo in that movie. I'm a fan of Big Trouble, and I think it's probably the closest that we've seen up at this point of hers up to what we know her as, which is like the quirky goody-two-shoes girl, the love interest. Um, but Big Trouble's not a good movie, but it is a good movie, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's a um, hot mess, but it's a fun hot mess. Yeah, it's That's fun, it but it's stupid, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. That describes about probably 98% of the movies that I watched. So <laughs> yeah, no shame in that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a Tim Allen movie where you're like, well, this is dumb, but you're laughing. Well, that's a great transition because speaking of potentially, well, dumb movies, but that some people might think is fun. I guess we'll find out if James is one of them. Lowest critic score is The New Guy from O2, and uh, James has it. Yeah, so The New Guy has a 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. 7, that's a single digit. Potentially one of the lowest we've ever reviewed because it's hard to get lower. (laughs) The audience score, I believe, is 54? 54. There you go. So pretty huge gap, but for comedies, I will say that you know certain comedies of this genre... Uh, usually score pretty bad with critics. My The example I always go to is Grandma's Boy, which is also single digits on Rotten Tomatoes, but like in the 80s when it comes to audience. Um, it would be disrespectful to Grandma's Boy, though, to put the new guy on the same level as that. Uh, this movie is one of those movies that I remember being funny when I was younger. I think I even saw this in theaters. But keep in mind, when this came out, I was in ninth grade. Upon rewatch, it was wildly difficult to get through. <laughs> in the opening scene, he gets a, an erection and uh, talking to the hot chick whose last name is like Best Asses or something like that. I forget what it was, but it's something like a play on words or how nice her butt is. 
uh, and he gets an erection while he's speaking to her, and a teacher grabs it, thinking it's a weapon. Uh, and then he tries to get away, and he breaks his dick. And that is literally the opening scene. Uh, and so he is so embarrassed about breaking his dick, uh, he gets put on medicine for Tourette's and gets so high that he, he steals a pastor's microphone at, at the mall. And the pastor's actually uh, Gene Simmons from KISS. And when he steals Gene Simmons' microphone, he gets arrested uh, and goes to jail because for some reason, cutting off a pastor at the mall is a, an offense in which you get jailed for. Everyone knows that. It's offense to Jesus, James. Yes, of course. Uh, that's where he meets the narrator of the movie, who is an inmate uh, played by Eddie Griffin, who teaches him how he needs to just go to a different high school, start with a clean slate, and then how he can act tough and, and cool. Not terrible advice. No, no. I, mean, think about I will it. say that of all the jokes that didn't land in this movie, the ones that did, I would say were mostly Eddie Griffin's jokes because he was the one who like committed to this is a stupid movie, so let's make stupid jokes and at least try to like make them funny stupid jokes as opposed to gross out humor. Where Zoe De Chanel comes in on this is she is a member of uh, the new guy's band. And so she gets to sing and play her own music. This is this might be where her it's her debut on screen of singing. There you go. So she she showcases the skill. She's not asked to do a lot. Uh, she is the one band member who is like normal. The other ones are there's a continuously running like gay joke with one band member that obviously aged about as well as milk. Uh, and then with the other band member, uh, he is. Uh, cartoonishly overweight and he keeps making like the classic dungeons and dragons style jokes like oh i'm such a nerd i'm into these games which are wildly mainstream now he's the kid from old school who gets his junk pulled off the roof and slammed into the ground yeah with the brick i think he's also in old school and is he in me and myself and irene yes i think so yes yeah he is he's one of his kids what's Um, this motherfucking electron doing there then (laughs) This movie was, it felt like it was trying to be two different movies. It was trying to be the teen gross out humor movies, like uh, a la American Pie at that time. But it was also trying to be like a mockery of those movies where it was like not another teen movie. Cause like they, there was a lot of pop culture references. There was a lot of references to other movies. And what you got was like jokes that just like either were didn't land because they were so time sensitive that like watching them at the time they probably landed but like today you would need to realize be like that's a con air joke like if you don't know that that's a con air joke this scene makes no sense to you whatsoever um and then other ones were just like straight up gross out humor like his dick is broken or something other than that it was mostly just like celebrity cameos like yeah here's tony hawk for no reason and here are both O'Connell brothers <laughs> and like go Stardew Creek. Go Stardew Creek. I was, yeah. And I would say some of the, some of the funnier jokes were the celebrity, celebrity cameos. Um, but all in all, I bet uh, this was just a movie for her to get more involved in theater. I don't think this was uh, something she's probably very proud of on her resume. She also wasn't asked to do a lot, so to her credit, I I do know that she is actually a very funny comedic actress, uh, based on what we see later. But she's not asked to do a lot of funny things here. 
No, her comedy is not not what they hired her for in this this role. But that was a bad comedy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> one one thing that was funny, uh, I learned that uh, in Spain the movie was called uh, "The Ugly Guy Also Gets Laid," which I think is a objectively funnier title. <laughs> I, love, I love that movie title. Some of them are so good. Yeah, that that one was great. That's a really good one. The ugly guy also gets laid. That's way better than the new guy. 100%. Oh, um, I hate, hate how much this movie like has lingered in my mind over the years. My dad wow. loved it, which is a symbol that it's terrible. But like <laughs> the one line, I heard it and I was like, holy shit, I've said this way too many times. When he goes, hey, dizzy, dumb shit. And I've said that way more than I probably should admit to the world. Hey, dizzy, dumb shit. I'm like fucking a, and then what made me laugh the hardest or watch rewatching this movie is the whole gag towards the end of the the film when they they're like, how can we get all these people from the other school to show up to this show so we can embarrass them? Oh, we'll tell everybody that Creed's playing, and I was like, what a <laughs> what a time capture in a bottle yeah. to be like, that's the guy, that's the band that would bring everybody here is Creed. Still the best Just, halftime show ever. 100 <clears throat> percent doesn't get any better. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bad movie. It's not good, but it it has a, it has its moments. But it's definitely worthy of its lowest critic score. That's for sure. Anything else on New Guy? Don't watch it. Don't watch it. Yeah, that's the that's the recommendation people came for. A couple things before our our last review because everything's early on in the, in her career. Did an episode of Frasier in O two. Was in a film. One of the few roles I feel like I watched that actually had a character with some depth to it which was All the Real Girls. She played Noelle. It was her first lead film role, uh, and it's really the only role outside of New Girl that had any type of awards nomination love. She got an Independent Spirit Award nom for Best Actress. Uh, I was actually kind of shocked watching this that she played a character that was not one note, that was not just, hey, I got hired to be the singing actress in this film. And the film was decent. It wasn't a ama- it wasn't the best independent film I've ever seen, but it was watchable. She plays uh, a gr- the girlfriend of this guy that he ends up. It's really around his and him and his like existential crisis. But she plays a character that actually has some depth to it and some dynamics, which I found really refreshing. She just didn't really do much more of this after this in '03. Um, she was in a short with Tim Roth in '03 called "Whatever We Do." Played Nikki. And then the big one there that probably the average person, if you ask Zoe Deschanel, especially this time of year, you ask them, like, what's a Zoe Deschanel movie you can think of? They're probably going to name Elf. Her role is Jovi. Yep. This is, this is where I discovered her. I think this is where we all probably had our first, uh, first run-in with Zoe. Um, great chemistry between her and Will Ferrell. Obviously, they're complete polar opposites, but that's the point. Yeah. And, yeah, it's... She's great in this, and I, I love Elf. It's definitely one of my favorite Christmas movies, for sure. Yeah. And she's funny. Yeah. She's deadpan. She's very deadpan. Deadpan was the word I was just going to say. She's super deadpan. Yep. Contrast that with Will Ferrell, who's obviously, like, you know, all cheer all the time. It works really well together. Yep, and you bite your tongue, Rigby. I learned about her through the new guy. <laughs> so, you know, don't sell that, sh- don't sell that short. There you go. <laughs> I didn't know the new guy was such a such a hit in the uh, the Hickman household. I wish it wasn't. <laughs> I really do. 
I was not aware that she was a good singer up until this movie to the point where when this movie came out, I was so impressed by her singing talent that I thought, well, clearly that's dubbed over. <laughs> and then obviously now we're well aware she's a tremendous singer. Uh, and when I was researching for the recording, I found out that her character wasn't supposed to have so many singing opportunities. And John Favreau was just so impressed that he to the movie. And, and because her singing ability is kind of dry, uh, her performance is dry and kind of old school. It bounces so well comedically off of Will Ferrell being as cartoonishly over the top when they're doing the shower scene where she's singing. Um, and he's essentially being like a little child while she's singing like as beautifully old school kind of crooner voice. Yeah, she saves her singing uh saves Christmas in this movie. She gets she gets all the people fired up at the end. This is the first role she's a hero in. Yeah, I was going to say I never uh, associated I never thought about it until now that All right, well uh we'll get to our last feature review before we kind of cruise through the the big chunk of her career and that's 2005's largest audience gap, which is a movie called Eulogy. In case has it. Every time I hear the word eulogy i automatically say you googly and does anybody know what reference that's from of course <laughs> what you think i'm too dumb to know who you googly is no it doesn't Zoolander doesn't get enough love man yeah it just is not gonna it is it's one of the greats and for some reason it doesn't get mentioned with the greats plot of the movie away right away um she's called upon by her grandfather who passed away to be the you googleizer at his funeral uh, let me get into some of the finer plot points of this movie. This is a 2004 dark comedy uh, written and directed by Michael Clancy. As I was doing my research on this and, and getting ready for it, it, it made sense because this movie ended up being or being produced by companies in Germany, United Kingdom, and United States. And you can tell when you're watching that this movie misses just by a little bit, and it just feels like it's it's going in too many different directions, but there's way too many subplots. Rip Torn plays the, the, the patriarch of this family, who is Zoe Deschanel's grandfather. He passes away, and they're bringing the whole family back to their childhood home for the funeral. It's one of those very, very typical dysfunctional family get-togethers where everybody is at odds. There's just a lot going on. And everybody just is either doing too much or they're not doing enough. It's actually a really important movie in her career because she isn't the main character of this movie, but she's the movie that this whole story centers around because she's the most normal person in the movie. Yes. You kind of end up comparing everybody to her by the end of the movie. And, and it's, a, it's a good performance, and she does well. I don't know if it was the writing. I don't know if it was the directing, but it's the same person. It, it, this movie just misses on a premise and a cast that I felt like should have been much more enjoyable. However, it did serve as a very good marketing device for Oberlin College, which is featured in every scene that her and her dad, Hank, Hiz Hank Azaria, who, by the way, is playing an adult film star, uh, and it's hilarious. 
the, anytime they're driving, you see the bumper sticker on the back windows. She's really good in it. She's the impo- most important piece moving the plot forward, and she does well. Where do you fall in the uh, audience gap, 71 to 34? I'm going to be in the middle. So 71% audience? Yeah, 34 critics. My, my explanation of that would be, I think it's a lot of people that watch this movie because they're fans of Ray Romano. They're fans of Hank Azaria. They're fans. Yeah. I do understand why people maybe favored this from a fan standpoint. Probably going to be about a 45 to 50. You nailed all the important points. The one note I'll make is that there is, in that final scene, uh, where shocker they she gives the eulogy and they're sending their grandfather off and he's (laughs) so so he wants to have like a he wants a funeral on the water where he gets he gets burned essentially right they they cremate him on the water like a viking burial yeah exactly well the the one i forget what's his name he has his kids basically like firing arrows (laughs) to, to try to set this thing on fire right and so for for like 30 seconds to 60 seconds, these kids are firing arrows and they just can't hit it, right? And it's just not working and he's floating farther away. So then they go on to the eulogy and you're just about to finish up the eulogy and they end up landing one of these things and I think they put dynamite or something on this. <laughs> and out of nowhere, it scares the living shit out of you because you just hear... <laughs> and literally, grandfather just explodes into a million pieces on, in the middle of a lake. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Because it genuinely scared me. I was not prepared for it at all so that's what i'll always remember from this movie i did appreciate the cleverness of her not being able to get her you googly out and to finish being a you googleizer we went this whole movie and you can't even finish a eulogy without <laughs> grandfather getting blown it, up in the middle of the lake that was worth it but yeah it was okay it's not great i don't know if it's a 34 metascore but it's, it's not a great film there have been other movies like that, but I, th- I think the one that comes to mind that's like actually would they like hit the nail like they hit it was um, the British version of Death Death at a Funeral was great. I don't know if I've seen the British version. I mean, either Peter Dinklage is in it. You never seen Death at a Funeral? Oh, with James Marsden, where he he's the guy he gets high as hell and he's naked on top of the roof. Okay, Alan Tudyk actually plays that part in the British. Watch the British one. Yeah, the British one. Great. So like I've seen the British one. It's very funny. So Matthew McFadden, that's in the Succession, is like the son, and he's like the straight son. Oh, okay. Yeah, that version's really great. It's very dark, but it's hilarious. Okay. So yeah, I felt like Eulogy was one of those movies that if you went to see it, you'd forget about it by the time you got to your car. Yep. Yep. Easily forgettable. That's a great way to put it. All right. Well, we'll uh, the rest of the way is just everything she's done since 05. So, and there's some biggies in here. There's some smaller stuff, but some biggies. So the first one here was a, a crossover with our boy, Sam Rockwell in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. She plays Trillian, the, the main character, Martin Freeman's uh, crush that ends up falling for Sam Rockwell. I, I enjoy the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And in particular, Rockwell's character. He's absurd in this movie. Oh, so she's in two movies with Rockwell as well. Uh, she did a couple episodes of American Dad between 05 and 2013, so eight eight years in between those stints. 06, she was in Failure to Launch, a movie we talked about earlier in the box office segment. She's pretty entertaining in this. There's a scene where they're, where they're at the paintball fight, and she is so dismissive of Justin Barthas. He's flirting with her, and she's just like, ah, fuck off, I'm leaving. And she grabs her six-pack of beer and walks away. She seemed like kind of an outlandish, charismatic character from what I saw. I've never seen it, but I saw the clip where she's trying to get the shotgun 
from uh what Rob Cordery, whatever, the, like the sporting goods store. And she's like, I just need one bullet. And he's like, <laughs> Do you are you okay? Do you do I need to get you a hotline? She's like, I'm not suicidal. She's drinking beer the whole time. She's got six pack with her. She's swearing. She's foul. She's cursing at birds outside of the window. It's a fun role for her, for sure. I never saw this movie, and this was like in the heyday of like the Matt McConaughey romantic comedies too. Never, never saw it. Couldn't. I, and one thing that she was supposed to do in 06, and I think it would have been really fascinating to watch, is I read that she was cast as Janis Joplin awesome. in a Janis Joplin biopic called The Gospel According to Janis, and then it ended up getting canceled. That would have been really interesting to see her do. Absolutely. Apparently she trained for months to get that like raspy Janis Joplin voice. She'd be great in that role. Yeah, and the mannerisms got to be difficult to do. Yeah, and I don't know how well she would have done, but... She's a little pretty. Janis Joplin had a fascinating, uh, fascinating life too. For all, I'm with Sam on that. Yeah, she might be a little too pretty for that role. And I'm, they've been. I mean, they made Charlie's there and look like a fucking that's true. animal and monster. So they can do it. Very true. Very true. And also, I'm assuming whoever has control of the rights of Janis Joplin is probably comfortable with you making her more attractive. You know. Yeah, that's right. You know, one of the reasons a lot of biopics don't get greenlit is because it's too expensive to get the songs. And that's why in a lot of biopic movies, you only hear like four or five songs and they've got fucking 40 hits. So I wonder if uh, this was just a deal at the time where they're like, nope, we're gonna, you're going to have to pay this much money. That sucks. That'd be a fun movie. Maybe it'll still come together at some point. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know if it'd be her now and probably somebody else, but yeah. Bridge to Terabithia. I mean, Bridge to Terabithia. She plays Miss Edmonds. The Singing Teacher. I had never seen this movie before, and I didn't read it like Sam had, apparently, when he was younger. But I will tell you, her character as a teacher ends up legitimately being a kidnapper in this movie. The movie doesn't frame it like that. Well, I mean, the book wasn't exactly a page-turner, so I didn't jump to go watch the movie. Here's, here's the framing of the, the scene. So the first couple scenes she's in, she's just singing to the kids. And so her, her character is a nothing character. It's, that's it, right? She's a... She's just leading the music class. And then the one day out of nowhere, uh, Josh Hutcherson plays the young kid heartthrob main character of this. Uh, the teacher calls him on like a Saturday at noon and says, hey, I was supposed to go with somebody to the museum. And so I have a ticket. Do you want to go? And Josh Hutcherson, who is like 15 at the time in the movie, goes, uh, yeah, let me ask my dad. And he doesn't ask anybody. And he just leaves. And the teacher picks him up at his house and they go to the museum together. And like, obviously they frame it as, oh, that's just normal behavior. I'm like, fucking teachers can't be showing up to kids' houses without parental permission and just taking him away for like nine hours. So like, this is literally a fucking kidnapping this kid. Maybe I'm overblowing it, but that's how I perceived her character. I don't remember that from the book. Now I want to watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting film, but that's, I was like, at least they added something to her character. Otherwise it was. She was the singing in front of the room for these scenes. So would she have been the reason or would she have been part of the box office success for this movie? No. No, I could have I, I could have played her part. With a, yeah, anybody could. With a wig. Sam could kidnap a child perfectly fine and play guitar on screen. He'd be fine. He could do it. Done both. Um, she did four episodes of Weeds, which was a huge show there in the mid-2000s between 06 and 07. I watched a couple clips. She was pretty funny in the scenes that I saw her. She played her brother's girlfriend and 
she there's one scene where she's talking to like two 12 year olds who are dating and they're like we've been dating for a week and she's like ah well i'll tell you you know as long as you guys don't sleep with somebody else in the first week i mean this relationship's gonna go really well and she's not kidding like she's being serious as that's like real uh recommendations you're supposed to give a 12 year old in their dating life so she's pretty funny in it from what i saw so credit there uh the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford say that five times fast Mm -hmm. good movie played dorothy yeah another movie that with sam rockwell that we covered a while back good film i really like that movie could you guys find her in this movie what like what part was she in she was like Casey Affleck's girl, wasn't she? Girlfriend, whatever. Okay. She was. It's not a huge part. I really enjoy this movie, even though it's two hours and 40 minutes long. It is long. It is long. Yes. It's like a, this is like a film nerd movie. Yes, it it's is. It's a film nerd movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get nearly the love that it should. Correct. Next year, she played in a movie called Gigantic. Her character's name was Happy Lolly. That's not a made-up character name. That is a real name of in this film. A film about Paul Dano who has wanted his entire life to adopt a Chinese baby. And him as an adult, that's all he wants to do, is adopt a Chinese baby. And he works in a mattress store. uh, And he runs into and meets John Goodman's character, who is the father of Happy Lolly, played by Zoe Deschanel. It's a very weird movie with an odd premise and a lot of really good actors in it. Happy Lolly sounds like a name of somebody that she should play in every movie she's in, because that describes who I think of when I think of Zoe Deschanel. To a T, right? Yep. I did watch Gigantic, but it wasn't the one you're talking about. I must have gotten mixed up. So. <laughs> right after Lester Bangs yeah. or before? Lester same, Bangs. same one with Lester Bangs, right? I think, I think they were the same movie, now that I... <laughs> I think Lester Bangs was in Gigantic. This is a prequel. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> those actors, though, Paul Dano, John Goodman, Ed Asner, those are three of my favorites. I wish I'd seen it. It's an odd movie, but I it's it's worth watching. Because if you love Paul Dano and you love... John Goodman's like this just manic dude with back problems who like has someone drive him in his car, but he lays down in the back of his car because he has back problems. It's a very odd, and she's very eccentric. Her character's all over the place. Oh, I'm sure. Very, very eccentric. One of the more eccentric roles I've seen. So I think it's worth checking out. It's weird, but... Kyle, what year was this movie? 08. Okay, speaking of weird names, in 2007 in the movie Flakes, that made (laughs) virtually no money, her character's name is Miss Pussycats. K-A-T-Z. Nice. Yeah. Also a movie that Sam watched last night. <laughs> she started doing her uh, duet band uh, in 2008. Her first album that they released was called Volume One, um, and they had six albums total between 2008 and 2016, which is that's a lot of music to produce in an eight-year span. What was Album Two called? <laughs> was it Volume? I don't know. Was it Volume Two? I have her discography here. What I saw was their most popular stuff was their Christmas songs. It was called Volume Two. It was a good joke. You nailed. It. Then 2010 it was Volume Two, and then. A very she and him Christmas. Do they sing the the song Biscuits and Honey? <laughs> I don't know the reference. Sorry. It's just a shitty, shitty duet between some gal and some guy. It's just an awful video. <laughs> okay. No. Uh, I, I did listen to some of their music. It's very, she's definitely the lead. And it's, you know, it's exactly what you'd expect. I don't even have to tell you more. You could just think of what a song with Zoe Deschanel would look like in this duet act, and you probably can think of the tune in in your head. A movie that I think scarred James 
uh, in his theater going forever. She was played Alma in 2008's The Happening. This movie sucks so bad. How is this not a zero critic and fan? Yeah. This movie's fucking awful. It's because the opening five minutes are like amazing. They're incredible. And everyone was sold on that. And I think what happened was M. Night came up with those opening five minutes and then sold it to a production company. Like, wow, that sounds brilliant. And they made that the trailer. And everyone's like, wow, this is going to make so much money. And then the rest of the movie is just like Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel, like staring at trees, very scared. I saw this movie in theaters and I said, I'm, I'm fucking done with M night. I'm not paying anymore for his movies. And I was able to make it very far until someone told me, what was it? It was, uh, I think split. And everyone was like, no, you should see split. It's great. Yep. And then I saw Split, and it was great. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. I'm back on the M. Night train. And then Glass came out, and I was like, why did I ever get back on this fucking train? I fucked up. I, I, who's, who's been given more second chances than M. Night, for crying out loud? Mark Wahlberg's acting in this is some of the worst it's acting terrible. I've ever seen by a professional actor. It's, it's truly, truly it's awful. It's really bad. And he, this is two years after him coming off from his Best Supporting Actor nom in uh, The Departed. Well, you never be a cop, so... We can't. I gotta be careful talking about your boy like that, though. So I have to be very, very careful. World needs plenty of bartenders. Yeah, world needs plenty of bartenders. I can't believe they would. Anybody would cast Mark Wahlberg as a science teacher named Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> that alone is just so stupid, <laughs> unbelievable. Just a heads up. That's probably not going to help her score when it's all said and done with me that she's in this movie. Not that she's the reason it's bad. It's it's a writing story and Mark Wahlberg situation, but. Doesn't help. You guys might disagree with me, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say this movie could potentially have changed the trajectory of her career for the worst. Yes. Could she still potentially be in like the fourth or fifth build name in bigger movies right now? Had she not done that? Perhaps. Very possible. I don't think that's going out on a limb. No, because we're not looking at another big budget movie after that where she's top build. Right. Wahlberg can bounce back from that. She can't. Nope. Yeah, but it's because he produces all his own shit. <laughs> right. Absolutely. He's like he's like the rock. And she hadn't sold her website yet. So she didn't have that cheddar. Yeah. Right. Oh, eight's her first year she was on The Simpsons. She did three episodes of that over a five year period. So a couple of these cartoons kind of returning to it over time, especially as other as New Girl comes into the fold. She starts to return back to the these cartoons with that lens. Uh, we've got a crossover with Jim Carrey in 08, and Yes Man, she played Allison, riding that, that moped and getting all lovey-dovey with Jim Carrey and All Night Benders. This movie was a hit at the box office, I remember. I, I hated this movie. It was bad. I just never found it. I didn't find it funny at all. It wasn't. I found Jim Carrey's character to be extremely obnoxious. I found his friends, played by Bradley Cooper, to be... Just as obnoxious. I mean, I guess it's Jim Carrey, and he hadn't been in a movie in a long time, and that's why this was kind of like his comeback, and yeah, not for me. I think this movie is right around the time where we start hearing uh, the first time of uh, her being typecast and a description of that typecast of this manic pixie dream girl trope, which I think she kind of embodied for like this entire decade. I don't know if it fits but it was essentially like a character that is built as a plot device to help a guy 
find his purpose in life and become a better version of himself. But it was always a woman who's like quirky and offbeat and, you know, quote unquote different from other women. And she, unfortunately, I think was kind of like the example of that in a lot of when that kind of character trope finally got its name. And I think this role was one of the first ones where they kind of put that there uh, because she was intentionally quirky. I think this character is a little bit more flushed out uh, than people might give it credit, but because it's a stupid movie, it kind of gets lumped in with all the other 2010s uh, romantic comedies where that trope existed. Um, But the next movie that we cover for her, the next big one is like always the shining example of it. I think that's a great point, James. There's an archetype there. So speaking of 500 Days of Summer, play Summer alongside G- JGL in 09. Pretty toxic. His character's toxic. Yeah, it definitely, has, movie, an, it definitely has an age well. Right. I do know that. I do know that. And it's just, it's creepy. It's like got like a graduate feel to it where it's like, wow, this guy is like, he's, I can't believe I actually like rooted for this guy when I watched it the first time, you know? I remember Kyle brought up a point that I found very fascinating because it was my first time ever watching it. And I came, after watching it, I came from the approach of... <laughs> he's the bad guy in this movie. He is projecting onto this woman like that. She needs to be with him. And, you know, she's the, his dream girl and she's perfect. And so like, obviously they're going to work out. And then Kyle brought up the point that like kind of people's perspectives have changed from when the movie first came out, where she was clearly the villain. When the movie first came out, she was the antagonist because of how she treated him or didn't treat him. And it was interesting because in the 10 years since it's came out, like, that is not how it's portrayed anymore. And so maybe that is a way of showing that the movie is just a good movie, right? It, it stand the test of time. It's just how you interpret it. It's a little different. Dude, like get over it. She's told you her expectations. She doesn't want anything serious, mm-hmm. but you are just trying to make this happen over and over and over again. I get it. Like she's, she seems great for you, but like you can't force someone's heart. This isn't, you know, yeah. learn that shit in fucking Aladdin, bro. <laughs> you can't make anybody love you to anybody. You like learn. get over it, dog. <laughs> It, it's it's also funny because like the things he's into are like so surface level like oh my god she likes the same music as me Be like cool dude cool. <laughs> she can murder people fucking like, move let's on. relax Be like oh my we work at the same she thinks i'm funny Be like you need to understand that this is a two-way street so while it is a i guess a co-lead role for her again i don't characters her character's isn't terribly dynamic. It's there for a reason. It's to fuck up his mindset, his psyche. Like the main, she is like the the female lead, and yet she, she's kind of replaceable. They don't give her much to play with there. Right. It was kind of an insert here type deal. And don't get me wrong, it was big for right, big for her at that time. But at the same time, like I'm sure she wasn't like I got to be really creative with the character. Like no, that's not really a thing. Yeah, right. Just have to. She's expressed kind of frustration with it in regards to the pixie dream girl deal because she's like i get a script and i like the script and then you read the character and like you're essentially the girlfriend and you know you're the love interest and there's not a lot of freedom in that you know it's you have to play everything a certain way uh, and it doesn't give you a lot of room for the character to grow because you're a complementary character I tend to agree with you, James, because right around this time, 2010, is when her career pivots a little bit. And and it comes with relationships, right? So she marries Ben Gibbard in 2009, who was the lead singer for Death Cab for Cutie and Postal Service. They were married for three years, got divorced by 2012. And that's the first of essentially three major relationships in the 2010s. So coincide that type of like 
typecasting versus starting to do TV and starting to have kids and those things that you see your career start to shift? I think it's just this perfect storm of why you would take time off from movies is you're getting typecast. You're, you have a TV show uh, that starts here shortly that is essentially going into syndication. It's like a surprise success. Mm-hmm. And that is a constant weekly paycheck. And then like halfway through it, you sell a website and make more money than you've ever done. Like there's so many life things going in here. It's like, all right, I had kids. I got, you know, a TV show that's going to be so successful. And when I do get movies, I'm playing the same character over and over again. I'm just going to stop doing movies because like I could make the money I want, you know, and my side business, I don't need to make any more money. And, and I'm still having the outlet of acting on the side. So I, I, I want to say it was like, just the perfect combo of being like, yeah, I don't really need to do this shit anymore. You don't have to do it, right? So you just stop taking shit parts. Yeah. At that moment. Is that what she like has said, or is that just like, well, or are you just saying like that's how you're perceiving? No, that's how I'm perceiving it. Um, I do know that she's she's like commented that she hates the typecasting, and she's also commented that she doesn't really, uh, she can't pick movies for shit. She's like, I, I, she's like, I, I can't pick a movie role and know it's going to be successful. She's like, I just pick movie roles that I like, and clearly they've been hit or miss. Uh, but I also don't like being typecasted either uh, because I want characters with depth to them. And I just kind of added the rest of it in there. But I don't know if that's actually the case. No, I mean, it makes sense. That's a pretty, pretty good assessment. Right. And then you ask her and she's like, no, nah, my kids were in elementary school. And like, I was fucking busy. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're like, all right, fair enough. She's like, I just sold a website for 30 million. And I said, fuck that. Like, I'm yeah. sleeping in. Yeah, was, sorry. I had shit to do. I'm sorry. Well, also, I think it's probably a giant leap when your agent is like, okay, so a pilot for a show on Fox, you're like, oof, this could go really badly or really good. But then when it starts to go really good, you're just like, okay, cruise control for a Paycheck, yeah. Because I think I was looking at IMDb; it got up to like one hundred thirty-five thousand an episode at one point. Yep. So you're just like, yeah, I'm on cruise control now. This is great. It's like Charlie Sheen in Two and a Half Men. You're just winning. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Way more predictable schedule right. for being a young mom. So it makes sense to do it. Yep. So that, around that same time, she does an episode of Bones with her sister in '09, and then she did, like many actors we've covered, she did an episode of Drunk History. She played Mary Todd Lincoln. And a story about Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. It's pretty funny. Available on YouTube if you want to check it out. Uh, goes back to the comedy side in 2011's Our Idiot Brother. Plays Natalie. A group of sisters who are uh, very frustrated with Paul Rudd's um, kind of stoner character for being kind of an idiot at times. Hence the name. But they're all terrible people in their own right. And they finally stop blaming him for their issues in that movie. Yeah, his his character was very... Uh, just really off-putting in and in not a I, I get that he's supposed to be that way and supposed to be just lazy and you're not supposed to really you know uh have anything in common with him but i just didn't really like him didn't you don't like stoners i get it it's understood. no it's not that you don't like the earthy types yeah they're not, <laughs> not my type 2011 is also when she started hello giggles sold it in 2015 four years later got all that money she also got a became a grammy nominee in 2011 she Got a Grammy nom for writing a song for Winnie the Pooh for best written song. So we don't get, we don't see that very often. But then the big one in 2011 is New Girl, uh, a show that ran for 146 episodes. And she got primetime Emmy nom and three Golden Globe noms. So this is her biggest awards recognized role. And to James's point earlier, 
that first episode in the pilot, uh, the guy who played coach in the show, he did this pilot and a pilot for another show, thought that the other show was going to be more successful. So he wasn't in the rest of the first season. And then they ended up bringing back, I think, like season four or five or something like that once the show had really blown up. Yeah, I think New Girl is delightful. It's one of those shows that I recommend to people. I recommended it to uh, one of my roommates back in the day. And he's like two episodes. And he's like, dude, what is this trash you've recommended to me? And then it was like two days later. He's like, I've watched like the first four seasons already. <laughs> and you realize you're like, you're, you're dumb. It's an awesome show. Yeah. Come on. It's just easy viewing and easy watching. I mean, it's like, it's. Yeah. You don't have to have any brain cells at the time to watch it, you know? No, it's stupid and fun, and the writing is witty. The writing plays off the actor's strengths so well yep. that, like, you get to see Jake Johnson doing the best Jake Johnson bits. And yep. it, it's just, it, it's easy viewing. She's she's such a delight in this show, too. Um, she is. She really, I mean, she she's obviously the focal point of the show, but she she carries it, and... You just you love her, man. You can't like you. You just can't really watch it and not be totally impressed with her in this. She started to jump on the list of like most desirable women in Hollywood because of this new archetype that people weren't used to of the quirky girl, where that became like a thing, at least more of a thing on TV because of the role that she was playing, and everybody loved the show. Yep. Yeah, dude. When the show probably originally started, they wanted her to be the. Uh, manic uh, pixie dream girl again and instead they realized that she she plays way funnier as like the sweet great man where it's like she's the grounded one who's just like a, a really nice teacher and everyone else is like the crazy roommates and it uh you could you could tell everyone's kind of thriving in their roles yeah, Love Schmidt. He's probably my favorite. I, I feel like he's a lot of people's favorite character from that show. The first joke that Schmidt tells that like immediately floored me because you kind of get the vibe that it's going to be like cheesy because of how it's written. And the first joke that killed me is when Schmidt is trying to get uh, Cece, who is this like breathtakingly beautiful model, to be his girlfriend. And she's like, I can't date you. And he's like, why? He's like, my grandma is a bigot. And he's like, she doesn't like me because I'm Jewish. It's like, yeah. And he's like, everyone hates the Jews. She's part of the majority. I don't give a shit. He's like, we should totally date. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Got to respect the hustler right there. Yeah, he's it. like, please just date me. Who gives a shit? Anti-Semitism's never stopped me before. Let's go. Yeah. Yep. Great show. Highly recommended. And obviously put her on a different profile for folks, right? Like she, I don't know if she was that big even going up to 500 days of summer, but new girl just kind of took her to that new level to where again, you don't have to do movies and you're just getting that paycheck. Yeah. Like a, a primetime show on a major network, you know, that's just easy money as Sam said earlier, winning. Speaking of things that Sam said earlier, he said that your highness is one of his favorite comedies. Number six, I believe. And uh, she played Belladonna advocate for this show or this movie, Sam, why do you love it? Gosh, I love all things fantasy, like Game of Thrones, um, well, all things medieval and fantasy, like huge Game of Thrones, The Last Kingdom, like shows like shows and movies like that. So, I mean, that that this is just kind of a spoof on that. And it had Charles Dance in it, which is hilarious because, you know, that that was just that was just an easy paycheck for him and just a joke. <laughs> it's just such a joke that he's in it. But they have they had a lot of like big actors in that movie. 
and she of course has like a singing part in it or so but um the scenes with her and uh what's the guy's name that was like married to jennifer aniston justin something or other justin Thoreau. justin Thoreau. yep yeah the scenes with them where she's like kidnapped are pretty funny because he's he's hilarious in that movie is the wizard or at least i thought it was it's one of those movies where i could see the majority of people going into it and just being like these jokes aren't landing but i just think danny mcbride so i really like your i love it I, I legitimately think that movie's hilarious like i watched it with Mm-hmm. I watched it with my wife, and she was like, "This is so bad," and I was just laughing the whole time. <laughs> Speaking of Danny McBride, I forgot to mention earlier that that movie I mentioned, "All the Real Girls," that was Danny, Danny McBride's first ever, which which was pretty cool. SNL she hosted in 2012, and again, you don't even have to watch the uh, opening speech to probably understand and guess that she gets on her guitar and sings throughout her uh, her opening monologue. So shocker there, but riding the coattails of the success of New Girl, great day. Like many others we've covered, but here, right? Like I'm jumping from 2012 to 2015. There's really not much there in those years. Again, she's, you know, doing the family stuff here. She married Jacob Pechenik in 2015 and they had two kids and they got, they were divorced by 2019. So just raising a family, but found time to do Rock the Casbah with Bill Murray, played Ronnie. Awful movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I haven't heard anything good about it in the slightest. I like Bill Murray. I feel like when Wes Anderson movies became a thing, it was like the intro, like the college introverts were like, Bill Murray is ours now, ours now. He's like reinvented himself and he's like our guy. And it's like, no, Bill Murray is still mainstream. Y'all don't get to claim him. But that was one of those indie movies that Bill Murray did where it was just like, they're trying to make a quick buck. They threw good actors in it and it was just so bad. I, I watched it. Yep. I was a sucker. They got my money. They got me. That was really funny. I don't know why. Bill Murray is ours now. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're one of the only people whose money they got too because I'm pretty certain this movie bombed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I rented it on iTunes like not that long ago. So yeah. Okay. I rented New Guy, so I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... Whew. 2016, she goes on the voice acting side as Bridget in the in Trolls, and then she did the Trolls 2 World Tour film f- four years later, the sequel. I said good for her. Those are good paychecks. Yes, they are. Raising a, a child, you get to go in, probably pretty easy recording schedule, and just get to do what you're good at and go sing some songs. Not a bad deal. This is not the movie that Leonardo DiCaprio made his uh, debut in, right? No, no, that was... Uh, Furry Critters was that a Critters Critters Three? three. Critters Three, yeah, classic. I actually really enjoyed that movie. It's dumb, but I liked it. She does a crossover with Brooklyn Nine Nine, a show we love in 2016, where it it established that it was all part of one universe with New Girl, which I thought was hilarious. Apparently, those two shows exist in the same timeline. I didn't know that, but that's really funny. That's cool. But otherwise, like here, she's not really doing much. Uh, The next thing I have on here started dating Jonathan Scott from the Property Bros in 2019. And then I guess most recently did a Katy Perry music video called for not the end of the world. You know how she met Jonathan Scott. It was K- carpool karaoke, yeah, carpool right? Karaoke. Isn't that so it's what a random connection of pop culture. All right. Well, that brings us to kind of where we're at today. So we usually kind of wrap it up with Rigby giving us some top performances. Let's see what he's got. All right. So this list is from movie web. It's seven performances i think we can oh it's it's television and movies so i think we can probably guess what the or what will uh be number one but it's from november 2022 so it was not only the really the most 
uh, quality list that I found. It was also the latest one. So it could have been from November of uh, 2011, and it would have been perfectly fine. Yep, because the number one would have stayed the same. We all know what it is. It's New Girl. So really, this is okay. the top six performances of Zoe Deschanel's career. Elf. Elf is number six. If Elf's not on there, I was about to say if it's not not on there, we riot. Yep, Elf is number six. Give me all the real girls. I bet it's on there. That is not. 500 Days of Summer? Yep, that's number two. Of course. That makes sense. I'm going to kill myself if The Happening's on it. It's not. Okay. Unless it's a worst movies of all time list, The Happening does not deserve to be on any movie ranking. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, that's number four. That's got to be on there. Yep. I hear it's great. Her role as a kidnapper in Bridge to Terabithia. Nope. Good. Almost Famous is probably on there? Yes, that is number five. That seems strong. The new guy? <laughs> no. Oh. I'm going to guess the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is on there. No, it's not. No? should oh. be, though, but Can it's it... not. Yes, ma'am? Yep, Yes, ma'am is number three. So I think we just need number... We just need number seven now. Give me failure to launch. Round it out. Nope. Oh, gigantic, maybe? Nope. I don't know. Rigby, you're going to have to tell us. It is our idiot brother. Okay. Oh, okay. If she's fine in that. I can, I can get behind that. Okay, so let's get into the Munson meter. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of one, 0 to 100, rate it based on a variety of factors that can include anything from longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. I get the, I guess, the fortunate joy of going first, um, which is always tough, but I'll do my best here. So. It was interesting to analyze Zoe's life and career because she definitely hasn't taken a traditional turn to get into Hollywood. I mean, there's definitely a piece of nepotism there. And I like that Sam pointed that out earlier of like her parents in the industry. Most folks aren't doing lead roles like that one or two years in their career or getting roles that easily without like grinding out and doing a bunch of shitty television first. But I'm sure her connections did not hurt her to be able to get into it early enough. She certainly didn't work as hard as some others, like Jim Carrey and some other folks we've talked about that really had to grind the circuit to even get noticed. Uh, but I will say, she's she carved out a, a little niche for herself as the quirky girl, but that's I think that's significantly limited her range over the years. I'm, you know, I've seen little glimpses in roles that she's played where she showcases some of her talents, a little bit more range, and films like Mumford, All the Real Girls, Gigantic, but again, those are movies that people either haven't heard of, or in some cases, movies that are just bad. Um, based on the character she plays. But I gotta give, give her credit. She sings, she plays ukulele, keyboard, percussion, banjo. She's released six albums. She's got more Grammy noms than any of us. Um, and she certainly made her made herself, found herself a niche in getting roles that play to her musical strength. But too many of her characters are just one note for me. There's not enough complexity in the types of roles she's taken on. And, and at least she has the self-deprecation and awareness to know that. Uh, New Girl is worth a few points because it's such a tremendous show and she's phenomenal in it and it's timeless from that standpoint. But whatever points I gave her for that, I'm going to take away for the happening because it's enough and <laughs> can't reward anyone for being in that. Really? And and honestly, her career has been practically non-existent after having kids and getting married the first time. I mean, the 2010s is there's like nothing on there. I'm interested to see if she has like a second win and she has a reemergence which we've seen from other actors after they go the family route. Um, but I guess that remains to be seen. So 
With all that, I'm going to give her a 59. We'll go to James next. I will say that she's in some classic movies from the early 2000s, and I think that needs to uh, you know, be added to her score when you are discussing her career. You know, Elf is on the Mount Rushmore of Christmas movies for me. Um, although she's got a minor role in it, I think Almost Famous is probably one of the uh, most popular 2000s movies, definitely most critically acclaimed. Uh, same with 500 Days of Summer. I think that is one of those movies that was really caught kind of the pop culture uh, heartbeat at that time and has kind of withstood the test of time. Um, I think she was a victim of typecasting. Uh, and I don't know if that is necessarily because of only the role she was getting, but maybe because of where her skills best fit at that time. Uh, on top of that, though, I love New Girl. I think New Girl is hysterical, and it's still timely, despite you know uh, being off the air for a while, you know, go, being on for almost, what is it, 10 years? I think it was seven seasons. Wildly impressive. Um, and then the music side of it is... You know, nothing to sneeze at. I mean, more she's got more listeners than Tyrese. She's got more listeners than Bow Wow. Uh, that is, you know, no joke. And those are full-time musicians. Although now you can say Tyrese is mostly a full-time uh, Fast and Furious guy. <laughs> uh, but with all that said, I'm going to give her a 63. Sam, our guest Munson. Y'all have pretty much hit the nail on the head. I mean, uh, I would say she had a really good run for like in the, like the 2000s. And then the happening was uh, uh, obviously unforgivable. I've watched a couple episodes of New Girl. Um, as as sitcoms go, it's definitely entertaining. Not not the first thing I would gravitate towards, but uh, it was pretty much perfect for her. Um, but again, like going back to what I was saying about like just kind of jumping into the deep end, which most actors don't do. Um, it kind of seems like a lot of opportunities got thrown at her and not all of them, not all of them stuck. And I mean, I'm kind of biased cause I'm not really a huge fan of most of the type of movies that she's been in, but um, I'm going to give her 60. Rigby. You guys nailed it. Um, not much range there. Very, very talented though. Um, and the singing can't go ignored. I think that's really important, and I know where we do, you know, we judge our scores mainly off acting, but um, there is some pop culture uh, aspect to that that you have to respect. And also, James, you nailed it. You know, Elf, New Girl. I mean, those are these are these are very popular shows in in our culture. Um, whether it's you know Christmas movies or sitcoms, like she she is cast in those, and she did exactly what you wanted her to do. And she was, she was a delight in, in those, uh, in those performances. So. And, and case mentioned that she's not, she's 14th in star meter right now, which is way higher than I thought it would yeah, be, but it probably has to do with people looking up elf. I right would now, imagine, would I would imagine it probably peaks around Christmas time. Yep. So that's a good point. I'm, I'm with you there. She loses points on the happening, the happening. I think I, she's not the worst performance in that. I would say that's Wahlberg, but she's pretty bad. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm interested to see, like you said, Kyle, sort of what she does next. She obviously is doing pretty well. She's dating a fellow celebrity, and and um, hopefully she's she's uh, 
fallen in love for the last time because I know she's been divorced twice. So, um, but yeah, all that being said, I'm going to give her a 66. All right, Case, round us out. Y'all have really nailed the big parts in Zoe Deschanel's career. I really like her and still believe she might be one of the sweetest people we've covered. However, I think her strengths as a performer don't really measure up great against the other actors and actresses that we've looked at. The criteria I like to focus on is box office snapshot, and that's simply because that's the one I do the most research on. Another one is that we are Munson's at the movies, not Munson's watching TV. Finally, range. I don't think she does great in that criteria. In comparison, it's really tough to give her a super high score. However, before I give my score, I want to provide my usual disclaimer. My numbers are complete nonsense, are arbitrary, and really don't matter a whole lot. Considering all of that, I'm going to also give her a 66. All right, with that, that gives Zoe a 62.8, which puts her in 63rd place. Sandwiched between Aubrey Plaza and Kristen Schaal. I probably under, I mean, she's so young into her career, but I feel like I'm, I would probably give a higher score now to Aubrey Plaza, but we got we, we to keep the scores where they are when we give them. That's right. All right. So I know Aubrey would normally handle what's coming next, but the good thing is if he's not here and someone has to do it, um, she only has one thing upcoming, <laughs> which makes life easy. So she has a, an animated film called Harold in the Purple Crayon. That's expected in June of 2023. Based on a kid's book. Yeah, Zach Levi, Lil Ray Howery. I wonder if he's going to play the best friend in that movie. Uh-huh. Shocker if he's not. I mean, talk about typecast. Lil Ray Howery is completely leaned into. He only plays the best friend. That's all he does. See, like, I... Gets him a job. Yeah, dude, I think if, from the human perspective, if I'm trying to get jobs, you want to typecast me? By all means, I'm trying yeah. to pay these bills. Other fun actors. It's based on a book with, with no words, so I'm excited to uh, see how they make it a movie. Next podcast is going to hit January 5th, so this is the last episode of 2022 before we, you know, we get escape this hellscape and go to 2023. <laughs> um, we've got Corey Wallace joining us again here previously for Natasha Leone, Aubrey Plaza, and Tyler Perry. And these were the five actors that were thrown under the wheel. We picked one of them. So we got Christopher Plummer, John Malkovich, Dakota Johnson, Chris Maloney, and James Hong. What do we think about that list? I like that list a lot. Yeah, Christopher Plummer and Malkovich alone. That's fantastic. I know you want to do Dakota Johnson, Kyle. Ah, my girl. She might be the sexiest person in Hollywood in my mind. I know you're obsessed with her. Unbelievable. That's my personal bias, though. Christopher Maloney. Nice Italian boy. That's who I want to cover the most out of that list. Yeah, we'd finally get to talk about some uh, Harold and Kumar. Harold and Kumar. Or uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. I think, I honestly think we could do the whole episode just off the two Harold and Kumar movies. I want to really look into and figure out why, I mean, I know why you can't find that KKK scene on YouTube, because I get it from his perspective, because he's throwing around the N-word, like it's, a, like it's just normal, mm-hmm. but... I just want to dig into more of like what his PR team did to, to bury that stuff on YouTube. <laughs> just to how he got cast in that. Like, why, right? why Christopher Maloney of all people? It's so it's random. In the first one. So random. And then as the KKK leader in the second one. I mean, yeah. Him as the cook with PTSD talking to a can of mi- <laughs> mixed vegetables is so fucking funny. <laughs> and then him as Elliot Stabler, one of like the best. Yeah. Like, crime show characters of all time 
He's just and his show Happy is a lot of fun on uh, on Netflix Sci-Fi. You've said I should watch that like a thousand times. James Hong would be an interesting one. He's he's an older guy. He's been in entertainment a long time. Uh, you guys want to take a guess as to how many IMDb credits he has? Oh no! How many? Four hundred and fifty-one. What do I know this man from? Uh, most recently, Everything Everywhere All at Once and Turning Red. Plays Mr. Gow in Turning Red. Oh yeah. Okay, there yeah, you go. He he was famous. Yeah, he just got his Hollywood Walk of Star, and it was like a it was a big deal because he's like really one of the first. Like, yeah, like yeah. minority, like character actors to ever get a Hollywood Walk of Star, and like p- people are like, he's been in four hundred movies. Like, give him his Walk of Star; he deserves it. <laughs> so it was like a huge deal when he got it. Yep. Yeah, I loved everything everywhere all at once. It was great. He's in freaking Chinatown. Like that movie's from nineteen seventy four. Big Trouble in Little China. I mean, he's in he's in some good movies. My job would be challenging for setting up a show notes for a guy like this with this much work, but that's why we do it. Yeah. He's in Seinfeld. Your favorite show. The, the Rigby's favorite show. Love Malkovich. I mean, Malkovich is in some great films and roles, and he's in some fucking duds, too. So you kind of you get across the board with him, but who, who would want to talk about Conair and Cyrus the Virus? I love Conair. I'll talk about it for an hour and a half. Malkovich is awesome, too. He's got a whole film named after him being John Malkovich. One of my favorite villains ever is him as... Uh... Leary in uh, in the line of fire, which we talked yep. about in the Russo episode. Mm-hmm. That's such a great part. Yep, Christopher Plummer's phenomenal too. To Sam's point, I mean, most recently in films like Knives Out, obviously rest in peace. But he's won Oscars. He's been in some really good films over the years. And Dakota's younger, but she's done a quite a bit of like good work in her short time in Hollywood. So she'd be, I think, a lot of fun. And I kind of want to force. Rigby to watch a uh, Fifty Shades of Grey movie. That's that that process seems fun for me. How do you know I haven't seen them already? <laughs> that's a good point. That's true, but you never know. No, I haven't. She's also uh, like the first person to like bring attention to the fact that Ellen kind of sucks. That's true. So that's cool. Yep. If you had to choose one, who would it be? I would do Christopher Plummer just because I like older movies more than I like modern movies. There you go. Love that. So I'd be able to go back and watch stuff from like the 50s, 60s. Did he go? Does he go back to the fit? Yeah, I would think so. 50s. He probably does. Yeah. That's what made the Maggie Smith episode so fun. Right. Watching and she's, back in the 50s and 60s. She's amazing. Actors like that whose careers have spanned like 70 or like, like six or seven decades is incredible. Um, who do we think Corey picked? Leon Plaza, Tyler Perry. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Elliot Stabler. I think Dakota Johnson. We'll find out. We don't decide. Elliot Stabler doesn't decide. Corey doesn't decide. Sam doesn't decide. He just gets brought in for whoever's on the list. Um, The wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. Well, we've reached the end here. Sam, this is usually the uh, guest plug portion. So, you know, if you're working on anything you want to tell our audience about, or if there's any wise words you want to leave for the folks, this is your window, my friend. Don't send checks in the mail when you pay for stuff, because... People steal them, forge them, and put them in their bank accounts. <laughs> so this is an era of using your credit cards. That's all I got to say. I love it. He comes on and gives identity theft rec- recommendations, which are super helpful. Yeah, just don't do it. Those blue uh, post post office boxes where you drop mail off, they're, they're getting broken into, and they're stealing mail. So just don't send checks anymore. I had to tell my parents. It's just, it's sad, man. You got to pay with stuff by card or, or wire. Well, we appreciate you having you back, man. Thanks for being our pinch hitter. We'll get you back on the regular uh, 
the regular schedule this time. But yeah, you, you've came in the clutch, my friend. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, man. You had me you had me laughing all night, dude. You're hilarious. <laughs> Next time we'll have to give you a lowest critic score so we can really get you to dig into something and hate hate review it. Yeah, I was gonna say if you give me something to hate, I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you something. <laughs> all right, brother. <laughs> all, right, all right, well as we wrap things up, you can catch us on Twitter, Munson's at movies. You can catch us on the IG, Munson's at the movies. You can email us, Munson's at the movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from uh, Zoe Deschanel? Here's your change and fuck you very much. Excuse me? Thank you very much. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Oh, thought you were going to tell me what a bad Yagoogalizer I am. A what? A Yagoogalizer? One who speaks at funerals? Or did you think I'd be too stupid to know what a Yagoogly was?